It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page and or group, AlienConPod. Before we get started with this week's episode, Project MKUltra, it's time for Strange Events, Bizarre Facts, The Unbelievable Revealed. This is the Mind Boggle of the Week. All right then, folks. So, unbelievable or is it? Does the moon spin? Social media wants to know why we always see the same face in the sky. Does the moon spin? Some of the answers people gave were no. The moon does not have gravity. The moon does not have a dark side. The moon was brought here by aliens, and the moon rotates like a clock. Now, none of these is correct, except I'll, hold, I'll withhold judgment about the aliens. That may or may not be true. So No, it's why, totally true. <laughs> I think it's true, too. So, <laughs> if you look down on the moon and the earth from above, you would see the moon moving about its own axis exactly as long as it takes to orbit around our planet. Its revolution matches its rotation. It's always turning to show us the same face, and it's turning at the same rate the Earth is turning. And this is called tidal locking, and it's the same way for most large moons in our solar system. So why is that? Uh, there's a gravity, a gravitational interaction between the moon and the Earth, and just as the moon is pulling on the Earth to make the tides, the Earth is pulling on the moon. Now, the moon passing by the Earth, it has such a strong force that the ground rises up to a foot as it passes by. And because the Earth is so much bigger than the moon, this effect on the moon is even more powerful. And it creates this force which makes the moon a football shape. Now, once upon a time, the moon spun around very rapidly and the bulges changed constantly, not entirely unlike water tides on Earth. And the bulges were always out of alignment with the pull of gravity, and they acted almost as handles that the Earth could grab a hold of. And over time, that reminds that's... Me, that, that reminds me of puberty, what you just said right there. All about bulges. <laughs> oh, there's always changing and stuff and moving direction, and yeah, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. So when the moon was in its puberty, it had bulges and the earth grabbed a hold of the bulges and over time it slowed down the moon. And that's why the moon rotates the way that it does. Nice. So the moon actually rotates. It does. It actually rotates. And I'll go ahead and post a nice YouTube video because sometimes a visualization is better than an explanation. It boggles the mind. <laughs> And now it's time for the show. It's MK Ultra. Hey, not motherfucking nefarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's get to Project MK Ultra. All right, I'll go over a, just a quick overview here. So, MK Ultra, it actually started with Project Bluebird in 1950, and it was renamed Project Artichoke in 1951. Artichoke was changed to MK Ultra in 1953. Then this was changed to MK Search in 1964. 
MKUltra had as many as 149 subprojects, maybe more. Four MKUltra subprojects were designed to experiment on children. Oh yeah, I just want to preface this episode. I just want to give a, a fair warning to people. This shit gets pretty fucking dark in this episode at some point. So really dark. Some of the stuff dark. that ha- is supposed to have happened under these experiments, it makes you qu- just question like how evil can people really get? Like there, if you're the person like we'll we'll get into all you know how how dark and, and horrific some of these experiments are or were. But uh, holy mother of God, man! Like, like some of the stuff that they they did to people, prolonged experiments. I think what, uh, I think like what Agent Anderson uh, is trying to say is, don't listen in front of your children. Yeah, don't listen yeah. in front of your children. Don't listen in front of anybody, man. This this is a uh, yeah. not safe for work. Yeah, not safe for anybody. This is some mm-hmm. pretty dark stuff. But yeah, so like I was saying, there's four MK Ultra sub projects were designed to experiment on children specifically. And one of those was aimed at creating a split personality in children, which uh, I'll let you use your imagination to what methods were designed for that. But the goals and research of MK Ultra included many things like mind control, hypnosis, behavior modification, interrogation techniques, biological warfare, and creating split personalities in test subjects. I'm pretty sure that's what the MK stands for. Mind control. What do you think? No, it actually stands for the the um, the division of the CIA that it was under. The MK was the designation for that particular branch of the CIA. I forget which one it was. And Ultra, during World War II, Ultra was the highest level of classification. So that's where the name comes from. I, I didn't actually take notes on that, so I forget the specifics. But it's, it's something along those lines. They did lots of illegal stuff, such as using civilians in the USA and around the world as unwitting test subjects for experimentation. So on the split personalities field, they were trying to create Manchurian candidates. You might ask yourself, why would they want to give somebody a split personality? Well, the idea was to create a sub-personality that the subject would be totally unaware of. And then at some time, you could give that person a trigger word or a secret word that would cause them to do something that they didn't know that they were programmed to do. And that's, that's why they were interested in split personalities. If you're not uh, familiar with the Manchurian Candidate, that's basically a story about exactly that, about somebody who was programmed to commit assassinations and they didn't even know that they had been programmed. Nor were they either remember afterwards. Yeah, exactly. That was one of of the other goals, yeah. Yeah, that was the whole idea too, is yeah. in In these experiments, they use many different types of drugs. Anything you can think of, they tested at some point or other. But LSD was probably the one they used the most. They also used things like hypnosis, shock therapy, total isolation, drugs, physical, verbal, and sexual torture, and many, many other fun and lovely ways of experimenting on subjects. The research was undertaken at more than 80 institutions, including prisons, hospitals, universities, and pharmaceutical companies. Mental patients and other patients were experimented on without knowledge or permission at places like Yale, Harvard, Stanford, UCLA, and other universities. In total, I think there was something like 44 universities involved. Supposedly, this all of this originated from ideas generated from the Japanese and Nazi experiments from World War II era. And that's a whole other separate topic, which I don't think I ever want to do an episode on because 
that is also some pretty dark shit. And it's just, it's hard to even read about this yeah. stuff. So I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stick my fingers in my ears, say la 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 and pretend it didn't happen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Many people involved with these experiments, like the scientists and doctors and whatever were supposedly grabbed from operation paperclip, which just kind of blows my mind because you have all these Nazis committing war crimes, essentially experimenting on these Jewish and other prisoners in world war II and we're taught in our history classes, you know, they give us lessons in history about just how evil and horrible this stuff was. Well, guess what? We nabbed these exact same people. And instead of putting them in jail or stopping them, we just said, oh, okay, guys, why don't you just go ahead and keep doing what it was you were doing? You know, well, not, not only that, but we're going to give you even more money to do it now too. Right. And, and the, one of the crazy things I, I find about uh, Operation Paperclip is that, so th they had parameters um, set on like, like, you know, who they could uh, supposedly grab and, and use uh, later on. And also like, uh, you know, it, it, a lot of it had to do with what they had, the, the type of crimes that they had potentially committed. So um, a lot of these uh, records, you know, that, that would support, you know, that had evidence of uh, some heinous crimes and stuff related to some of these individuals were just plain destroyed to, uh, you know, allow them to be brought over to the United States and, and to use for whatever, you know, benefit. Yeah, you know, I find I find that kind of a uh, kind of crazy and a little bit disturbing too, because there's there's a lot of stuff that that these people did that we there's no way to know now. I mean, like we don't know that they there's all sorts of stuff they probably did that we don't know that uh yeah that we're never gonna find out because all that all those records were destroyed. You know, yeah, we'll probably do an episode on pro pro Project Paperclip at some point. It's it's too crazy yeah. to not do an episode on, but when that is, I don't oh, know. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? J yeah. I don't know much about it, but it sounds really interesting. It's crazy. It's just about as well, crazy I mean, as this one. You could do you could do like a couple episodes just on Vernon von Braun. You know? Oh yeah. yeah oh yeah. Like for what sure, he dude. did, what he did for the Nazis, and then afterwards, you know, what he did for the United States and, and NASA. Like uh, there's, I mean, there, yeah. yeah, there's there's quite quite a bit going on there. So the uh, the short version is that um, Werner von Braun was brought over from Operation Paperclip. In Germany, he did wonderful things, such as using prisoners, like Jewish prisoners, as workers. And in his factories, I forget the exact number, but something like 20 people died every day because the working conditions were horrible. So um, he wasn't directly putting bullets in heads, but uh, that's just a very short version um, of, you know, he was not, not a good guy at all. Like, he knew what was going on, you know? One of the uh, the stories that you hear about his, like uh, some of his factories and stuff, and, and one in particular, was that they would have a race at the beginning every day, and uh, the slowest person person would get executed. Basically. Right. Yeah. You know, and that was like before they even started working in the factory, from what I understand. And he came over to the United States, and he got pretty much a free pass, and they put him in charge of our rocketry program, and uh, he was a he was a big deal. Uh, you know, pretty much he's he's the guy who did our space program and stuff like all of our rockets and all that stuff was, uh, you know, a Nazi did a lot of that stuff. Um, I don't, I don't know the specifics of what was designed by whom, but Werner von Braun was, he designed a lot of our technology for going to space. Yeah. Well, you can definitely say the guy was evil, but I mean, he definitely developed some interesting stuff. I mean, famously he was, you know, credited with uh, developing the V2 rocket, right? Yeah. The buzz bomb that, that, that terrorized uh, Britain, you know? And uh, so the guy, the guy definitely had some, some high levels, you know, technical ability, but man, was he responsible for some, some heinous stuff. 
Yeah, and it's I can understand the idea that, well, if we don't get these guys, Russia will get them and they'll get a leg up on us. But on the other hand, at yeah. that point, it's not like it's not like Werner von Braun was the only person on the planet who was able to make rockets. We have scientists, we had scientists here that were perfectly capable of developing that stuff. So it just seems, I don't know, whatever. But we, we, we don't go too far down that road because yeah, that's a whole episode. Yeah. yeah, well, isn't that the whole idea behind MK Ultra 2 was that yes. we had to develop these techniques because it was during the Cold War and we were worried yeah. I know that one of the, one of the stories that I heard uh, um, leading up to you know like researching this and stuff is that like after the uh, the Korean War, they had some some POWs come back that uh, seemed very um, sympathetic towards like the communists and stuff, and they thought that uh, our government thought that that could be you know those those people may have been like uh, brainwashed in some way, so that's like uh, one of the periods in time in which that they ramped up their their um invet, you know their research into this this field. Because they they assumed and they thought um, that that you know Russia, uh, China, or some of these other countries North might Korea. be involved in this type this type of stuff. So yeah. they fi- they figured that hey, if they're involved in it, we better damn be well too, you know. So and then you know um, I, I think it's kind of like a a little bit of a vicious cycle too. Because say the Russians found out that oh the Americans um, have a uh, you know this program, this type, this type of a program, you know, a brainwashing program or what have you, even if they weren't already involved in it, well, they're going to be now, right? So they're going to have the same type of response where, you know, if they weren't involved in it before, they better be now because then they're just going to fall behind and they, they become vulnerable in some way, you know? Well, yeah, it's kind of a mental war too, not just a, you know, yeah, that's why yeah. they call it the cold war, but I think it applies more than to just, you know, building up arsenals. It's an intelligence yeah. <laughs> buddy, shut up. <laughs> and there's a mascot of the show right there, yep. buddy. That's our mascot. I'll post a picture of him on Twitter, maybe. He's our resident cryptid who likes to bark during recordings. Buddy. <laughs> hey, he's just giving his opinion. He feels strongly about this case. Yeah, you know, well, who so. doesn't, man? Who doesn't, you know? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, there he goes. Nothing <laughs> wrong at all. As he, I was saying... He, it sounds like Buddy's becoming vicious. Oh, he's a killer. He's a real killer. Look I know. Out. I know. He's a dangerous right. animal. He's outside now. <laughs> he's been quiet pretty much all day. Now, as soon as we hit the record button, that little butt. All right. So anyways, uh, where was I? Um, oh, yeah. So the Project Paperclip was first brought to public attention in 1975 by the church committee, which I believe Agent Ether has a lot of notes on, so I won't say anything about that. In 1973, the CIA director, Richard Helms, ordered the destruction of all MK Ultra records. And this so we have some documents that were from MK, MK Ultra and that's how we kind of know about it, but the vast majority of documents were destroyed. The only documents we have, they were kind of sent to the wrong building on by mistake. It, whoops, <laughs> those are supposed to be destroyed. It's only by chance that we even know about MK Ultra, really. Yeah. Because they they put a great amount of effort into destroying whatever they could, and and this that group of uh, documents that were found, it was like yeah, it was, it was a total mistake. Like they were they were supposed to be destroyed. They just f- slipped through the cracks. Yeah, and in right? addition to that, it was their policy not to keep a lot of records and notes sure. about the experiments that they were doing. So well, a lot of the evidence was destroyed, kind of but who knows how much is out there that was never even documented. Yeah. Well, how, I mean, and also like one, one thing that I, I, I keep on asking too is like, like how successful, successful were they really? You know what I mean? Cause you know, supposedly they weren't all that successful, 
But I well, mean, if you were, if you if you were, were you w- would you advertise it? I, I have wouldn't. an example of someone who I will wait to talk about until Agent Anderson is done with his overview. Yeah, wait, wait yeah, till I get yeah. done with the overview. But I have some I have some quotes from documents. I poured over a few documents, and I got to say, man, I I was looking at stuff. I spent hours and hours, and I only barely scratched the surface. And the documents we have is only a small fraction of what was possible out there. They're like so much has been destroyed, but um, we'll we'll get to that later. But yeah, there's some pretty alarming quotes I have that you know that are from actual documents that are you know we'll we'll get to that later. Here's a uh, quote I found from Wikipedia that I like that pretty much sums up some of their goals. So I just I'll read that because I thought this encapsulated the project pretty well. It says the CIA sought to establish control over what it perceived as the weaker and less intelligent segments of society, or for potential agents, defectors, refugees, POWs, and others. A CIA report states that if hypnosis succeeded, assassins could be created to assassinate a prominent, redacted politician or, if necessary, an American official. The overseas operations took place in locations throughout Europe, Japan, Southeast Asia, and the Philippines. Teams were assembled to manage these operations and they were told to conduct the overseas conduct at the overseas bases operational experiments utializing aliens as subjects. And there's more countries involved than that. Like aliens. for example, Canada. They did a lot of MK Ultra stuff in Canada, but those that's just a handful of the countries. But all right, so that that's pretty much just like a brief overview of what um of what the project was and some of the, you know, particulars. But now I guess we'll just talk about various things in no particular order because there's just, there's so much just uh, shenanigans and ass hattery involved. It's kind of hard to organize it all. So I don't know who wants to go first with uh, any particular topic. I want to talk about operation midnight climax. Okay. Oh, oh. Oh. oh, I like the name of that. Have you heard of it? I thought you'd be excited. <laughs> well, I am a little bit, I am a little excitable. So there was this play that was written by Niels Bell and it was called Operation Midnight Climax. And basically there's three CIA operatives monitoring a prostitute through a one-way looking glass while she's, uh, you know, doing stuff with a drug dealer. And so this whole project is based on this play. And the idea is for the CIA to create these safe houses, which they did in San Francisco, Marin County, and New York. They installed cameras in outlets. They had one-way looking glass. They had these brothels, and they put prostitutes on their payroll. And they would spike the drinks of these men who came in with LSD. And one agent described it as a free-wheeling, party-like atmosphere. (laughs) I could imagine <laughs> these projects. Like I said, there is at least a, well, there's 149 sub projects is what I found, but possibly more. These were all highly compartmentalized and very sparsely supervised. So they probably, some of these projects, like for example, midnight climax had almost no oversight at all. And that's true. And the people who were monitoring these gentlemen who had had their drink spiked, they weren't doctors. They weren't professionals. They were just agents. And George White, who was an agent who was there in 1971, wrote, Of course, I was a very minor missionary, actually a heretic, but I toiled wholeheartedly in the vineyard because it was fun, fun, fun. 
Where else could a red-blooded American boy lie, kill and cheat, steal, deceive, rape and pillage with the sanction and blessing of the all-highest? Hmm. Isn't that a beautiful quote? That is crazy. Just imagine <laughs> if you're a CIA agent and the agency says, all right, who's, here's, uh, I don't know, $2 million. Go spend it on LSD and hookers. <laughs> <You> know? <laughs> and like, don't send no back shit. any reports because we don't want a paper trail. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we, and, and by the way, we don't want to know what happened unless it's, uh, you know, it relates to uh, these specific parameters, you know? Right. They <laughs> like, were feeding them subliminal messages and recording their reactions. So that was apparently the whole point of the experiment. But you have to wonder in this mm-hmm. environment what they were really doing, if anything. It just, it sounds like a lot oh, of knows. BS to me. Yeah. The, the, the sky's the limit, you know what I mean? With that kind of, uh, you know, um, a level of control and free will, you know what I mean? It, who knows what the hell happened? The thing that I wanted to talk about, to be quite honest, is um, some of the methods in which they would uh, gather subjects or, you know, uh, test subjects, you know? Um, there, there was, I, I find it kind of nefarious, uh, underhanded, like, uh, cause there, there's so many different groups of people that they drew from to test. Um, and, and uh, uh, let's just start with like a military, military, uh, personnel. So, um, one of the stories, like, cause they would have like, you know, different, different, um, things available, like to earn like extra, like, uh, money or, you know, uh, leave time or what have you. And, um, so they would have, uh, like, like these, uh, like, uh, different, um, like clinics and stuff. And they would advertise like, Hey, we're doing research for, you know, to cure the common cold or to combat the flu or, you know, something like that. And, uh, so there was this one, well, not one, but th- there was a couple different cases where, uh, they had, you know, a sign up saying that we're trying to combat the common cold. And it turns out, no, that's not at all what they were doing. This was part of MK Ultra, but of course, you know, being in the military, you've pretty much signed your life away, and you're now, you know, owned by the government. So uh, there's quite a bit they they can do to you with quite, you know, a small amount of uh, options that you have afterwards to, you know, uh, um, protect yourself or, you know, um, cry or complain about what ha- what had happened. You know what I mean? They had like a, um, you know what was supposed to be research into a, a cure for the common cold. But what they were really doing was injecting people with LSD. <laughs> you know, um, one of the other experiments, uh, I guess they were experimenting with sarin gas as well. Well, sarin, not just sarin gas, but they would inject sarin into people and, and uh, uh, I guess, test the effects. You know, the LSD is, is the one that was uh, most, most widely used, supposedly. And just, just imagine, just imagine, you're, you know, you're in the military, you know, let's just say you're in the army and you're like, all right, well, uh, I'll participate in some of these uh, studies here to, to earn a little extra money or what have you, or, or whatever it is, you know, you know, you end up getting injected with LSD, you know, and yeah. go on on quite the trip. I would imagine, especially if you've, I would imagine because most of these people, especially at that period in time, it's not like LSD was like, you know, super available for the public, you know, no. I mean? Nobody knew what it was back then, especially in the 50s. Like, yeah. You would yeah. have no context yeah. for what you were experiencing. <laughs> so they were basically lab yeah. rats. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They had no idea what the hell was happening, you know? Just imagine, you know, like, uh, the, uh, the the twist within your reality, you know what I mean? How would you even deal with that all of a sudden? Like, like you know, nowadays, like, even if you've never done LSD, 
think I have kind of an idea of, of, of uh, what it would be like just because of all the different descriptions. I mean, hey, you ever watched uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Well, who hasn't? I haven't. I mean, oh. yeah, that, that gives you, I think that gives you probably a pretty good idea of, of what it potentially could be like, you know, but way worse because you don't even know what you're dealing with, you know. I have an example of a specific military personnel. He was a U.S. Army sergeant, Mr. James Stanley. Have you guys heard of him? Yeah. And he was actually awarded 400 k and 96 for his participation in MK Ultra. Now, he was highly decorated. He lied about his age. He enlisted when he was 15. And then at about 1958, he was a volunteer to test clothing and gas masks for chemical warfare. But instead, him, along with four, uh, 741 other soldiers, were given LSD. And we're talking about three to ten times the amount of a street dose. And it ruined his marriage and it ruined his life. He would wake up choking his wife. He would lecture to an empty room for hours. And he had tons of missing time. He would go out for gas and come back two days later and have no memory of where he had been. And he continued to have these uh, breaks in sanity. And then in 75, you know, he's, <laughs> he's having a hard time. He doesn't know why. 17 years later, he receives a letter, no explanation or apology. It says, according to our records, you were a participant in the chemical warfare test with LSD. And that was it. And he still... You know, to this day, he has not been issued an apology, and he went to court, and he said, you know, I don't want the money. This isn't about the money. This is about an apology for what happened to me. The army was arguing that he couldn't even sue them because any harms were inflicted incident to service. And so, I guess you're barred from suing when you're in the military, and it went to the Supreme Court in 1987, and they voted against him five to four, arguing it was a military matter and they shouldn't intrude. And there were two justices who dissented and they argued that preservation of military discipline shouldn't protect the government from liability and punishment for serious violation of constitutional rights. And Justice Sandra, Sandra Day O'Connor wrote that the U.S. played a role in the criminal prosecution of Nazi officials who experimented with human subjects and standards were developed to judge the behavior of defendants to satisfy moral, ethical, and legal concepts. So if that principle is violated, the very least society can do is see that victims are compensated as best they can be by their perpetrators. But I mean, it took decades decades for him to get compensated. And, and this is a trend that has, has, has been happening in uh, the United States and in Canada also for victims of, of MK Ultra. You know, the, mm -hmm. there's there's been quite an effort to, you know, basically devise tactics and, and you know, methods to compensate the, the ones, only the ones you really have to, but also at the same time, you know, create like a silence around, around the situation that they, they definitely don't want people talking about this. That's for sure. Anybody involved or that has gone through any kind of these, uh, these, uh, studies, whatever you want to call it, you know, they definitely don't want them talking. That's for sure. Even though some of them, a lot of them are, you know, they experimented on so many people that if they admitted any yeah. kind of liability whatsoever, it would bankrupt the U S government. 
And they had volunteers, but they also had people that didn't know they were being injected with or drinking or whatever, the LSD. Who knows how many more countless people, because I mean, like, like we had talked about before, the majority, the vast majority of all these records were destroyed. Mm-hmm. So we'll never really know the vastness of this project. You know what I mean? They, I mean, I'm sure that, that anything that they have publicly admitted, you know, relating to this has been downplayed, you know, as much as they possibly could. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also there's an idea, we don't know if this is true or not, but they've released further documents through the FOIA, Freedom of Information Act. And yeah, yeah. There's a, there's an idea out there the most of the documents released were they only released stuff that didn't work all that well. That way it made the whole project look kind of goofy and like a waste of time, you know, kind of like men who stare at goats kind of a deal. But a lot of people think that the stuff that actually worked or the real good research and stuff, they're never going to release that. Cause I mean, obviously why would they? Right. But they'll release the stuff that didn't work. We've been talking about LSD a lot, uh, you know, in the last couple of minutes, but um, I think what like what ETA was referring to earlier is LSD was only one very small part of this thing. They did a lot of different shenanigans. Like, for example, one of the things they experimented with was uh, brain electrode implants. So they put brain electrodes oh, in yeah. animals and people, and they were able to like remote control them with like a, like a little box with buttons and stuff. And they were able to not only like control their movements to uh, um, I, it, the documents I saw didn't describe how how fine the motor control was, but you'd imagine like it wasn't that great. Like it probably they were stomping around like Frankenstein or something. But um, they were also able to put electrodes in the brain that were able to alter the people's personality, memory, and behavior. And they were also able to control the emotions of the subjects with a push of a button. So th- this is just one example of the many many things that they were up to. Like this th- this That's project cray, man. went on for decades. Right. And yeah. the, the earliest one I was able to find was something the Navy was kind of experimenting with in 1947 to 1953 that might have been like a precursor. Basically, from 1950 to 1973 or 74, I forget which. And that, you know, that's a lot of years. And we're only, we only know a very small amount of what they actually got up to. Yeah, man. Like, especially that artichoke era. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I just, I'm I'm sorry. I I just find I find that code name so absolutely hilarious. Like yeah. it's, it's Project Artichoke, huh? Like well, the, the imagination goes wild. Yeah. But what is that? <laughs> All right, I stop. I I I, I, I desist. We, we need to move on. Yes, let's move on. Uh, I found I found a good quote from the project about LSD specifically. Uh, they they were talking about. Um, well, I'll just read the quote. Some of the more outstanding effects are the mental confusion, helplessness, and extreme anxiety which are produced by minute doses of this substance. Based upon these reactions, its potential use in offensive psychological warfare and in interrogation is considerable. It may become one of the most important psychochemical agents. And when we're saying LSD, um, we're talking about that, the doses, um, I think ether agent ether mentioned three to 10 times what you might take as a street dose. And that they were doing this to certain people for like months on end. So it wasn't like just a one-time thing. Yeah. So yeah, they would dose them weekly or monthly. Just imagine, yeah. just imagine what, what a hellish exi- existence that could possibly be. Right. I mean, especially and, if you're having a bad trip, right? 
imagine people like, let's say uh, somebody who has schizophrenia, who goes to a mental health, a mental hospital for help. And then they get this stuff done to them and they think they're losing their mind. They don't know what's going on. And they're, they're given massive doses of LSD every day for like six months. And then when they come Mm -hmm. out, they're an absolute vegetable. There are stories like this. There are lots of stories like this. And how, and how could you not be, you mean? I mean, geez, you'd have to have an absolute concrete mind and, you know, a level of resistance in order to withstand that kind of bullshit. That's the kind of prolonged, like, torture is what I would uh, refer to it. Because, I mean, how could it not be, right? Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the kind of stuff that really, like, pisses me off about this case, man. Because, I, 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 God, that, that must have been such a horrible existence. I mean, who you can't even begin to imagine, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, you know, had people just, who were volunteering for the program. You have Robert Hunter from The Grateful Dead. Yeah. I think he was a lyricist. Oh, yeah. Ted Kaczynski, yeah. the Unabomber. And yep. James Joseph Whitney Bulger, who is a mobster. Yeah, Whitey Bulger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's 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 a lot of people that supposedly, you know, it's not necessarily ver- as verifiable, but like Charles Manson supposedly was a part of that program as well. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, and and also, uh, um, uh, gosh darn, I'm brain I'm brain farting hard now. Uh, lead singer of the Doors, uh, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison. There's a lot of people think I don't I was not able to like verify this, but there are some people who claim that the, the like the entire hippie movement was actually started by Project MK Ultra because they were dosing so many people with um with LSD and they were dosing these people at the universities where a lot of these kind of movements where the hippie type stuff started, you know, this well one of the other deal. rumors that I, I heard is um what was that feller's name the uh the um the first like the the guy that was at the head of the uh, the whole project MK Ultra the, for the CIA Gottlieb Yeah Gottlieb Yeah okay yeah 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 so so one of the rumors uh, that I had heard is when they started this project they literally bought the world's supply of LSD like pretty much as much as like every every uh, all the LSD they could find they bought it Well, how did it get onto the street then? So this is making me think right now, if LSD wasn't on the street before and then Project MKUltra came along, were they somehow involved in getting it to the public? Well, that's that's a whole other topic. The CIA and drugs. I don't I don't know if we want to go down that road. (laughs) It'd be here all night. (laughs) My my opinion would be absolutely. Yes. Well, there was, there was so little oversight that you have to assume at the very least that some of these CIA agents were taking some of this stuff and selling it on the side or, or something. I mean, there's no oversight at all. They could do whatever they wanted, right? Well, I, I think it might not be even be that simple. I think it, they might have purposely, like, that's part of the experiment. You know yeah, what that's I mean? what like, I was thinking. Let's, let's, oh, see, okay. let's see what this shit does in the public. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like we've done these controlled. Start using it as a party drug or something. Right, we've you know? done these like, controlled experiments. Let's get it out there. In a more chaotic yeah. environment and see what the let's, result is. Let's let's see what this does in the wild, right? Yeah. yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Possible. I don't know. You know, just speculation. The total speculation. Yeah, well, it's yeah. it's interesting to theorize about this stuff. And that's a theory that actually makes a heck of a lot of sense in the context of what they were doing, actually. Mm-hmm. So I like that one. Because mm-hmm. it gives them more data, you know? Mm-hmm. More perspective. All right. I'll talk a little bit about a fella named Dr. Ewan Cameron, E-W-E-N. You guys, you guys read about this guy at all? No. I heard his name. Oh boy. This is, this one's a real barrel full of monkeys. Let me tell you. So this was, this guy was, he was a really successful and powerful 
psychiatrist. He was uh, the president of the American, Canadian, and World Psychiatric Associations at one time or other. And he, he actually was one of the founding members. Yeah, he was actually co-founded the World Psychiatric Association. Exactly. He began experimenting on patients as early as the 1930s at the Brandon Mental Hospital. Uh, for example, one thing he might do to his patients was he would take uh, people who were suffering from schizophrenia and make them lie naked in red light for eight hours a day for as long as eight months, some of them, because for reasons, I don't know why you would do that. You'd have to look up the research. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This guy sounds like one sick motherfucker. One. Like what, what idea could you possibly have? Okay. Here's somebody with schizophrenia. Let's just make them lie down on the floor in red light naked for eight months. Like it's, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. He was just like torturing them. Right. I don't know. But he would also do things like put patients he would induce comas in patients and then bring them out of the comas like over and over again, like a couple times a day for months and months on end. Uh, I guess just to see what would happen. I don't know. Um, it, it, there's, there's a, he's actually published some of this, these bizarre and sick experiments in peer reviewed articles, which, you know, shame on the, the world of psychiatry, right. For allowing this to go on. But one example of that and, would and, be in, in his day, he was very, very well respected too. He was like at the top of the, the food chain kind of. Yeah. Right? So one example of something that he got published in a peer reviewed journal is an article called psychic driving. He describes a technique in two stages. First patients are depatterned or reduced to a vegetative state using some combination of massive of massive electroconvulsive shock sensory deprivation and drugs Brutal. in this state they're fully depatterned they which means that they're they're completely wiped clean so that they were incontinent they're unable to feed themselves they could not state their names location or the date they they couldn't remember even basic vocabulary like what is a car they like they're like you completely erase the person's mind and this is like this is some dark shit man like the second stage called psychic driving, he would use hundreds of hours of tape loops and he would play that to the patients through like earphones or speakers in a sensory deprivation room. And that was used to like program them, I guess. And he received government grants to proceed to produce this research. And this was like in the 1960s. And I just want to reiterate, this was not theoretical. He did this to people. Right. There's peer-reviewed journals. Some of the people were able to sue the gar successfully sue the government later on. But like I was reading a story about this lady who had no memory before like 1963. Like after he was done with her, like she didn't know that she was married. She didn't even know what a husband was. Like she was completely erased. Like it's almost as if she was a newborn baby. It's just, it's bananas. Uh, and that, that's just one of, there's a lot of doctors that were working for this program, but that's just one of the many, many dark examples of what were being done to people. So that's what I mean when I say, like, it wasn't just LSD. They were doing all kinds of sick shit to people. But so that's just a, that's a quick blurb on him. Just imagine like that first step, right? The re the reprogramming, right? Like the resetting of the, of the, the person itself or whatever their, 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 their being, their self being. Just imagine what that takes, the amount of like pain and suffering that they must have been inflicted, you know? Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even uh, start to imagine, but uh, it, it's got to be extremely substantial, you know, I mean, to, to gain that kind of uh, outcome, you know? Yeah. To, and he calls it de-patterning, like it's so clinical. Yeah, de-patterning. 
Yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. do you have to do to somebody's yeah. mind to completely erase it, to erase everything, even the ability to go to the bathroom on the toilet or something? Like, it's, it's just, yeah. it's incredible. Like, just what some of these people did. Like you were saying, just pure evil. Like I had touched on earlier. I mean, how evil do you have to be in order to, you know, be willing to inflict this this type of pain on other people over and over and over again? I mean, like like you had talked about earlier, like just the LSD, like like people had, you know, gone through months of of day-to-day prolonged exposure to high levels of doses of LSD without Holy being told of, in many cases without even being and, told and, what was and, being done to them. And, and and some people got not only that but also electroshock, and some people got just you know one or the other, but or both. some people got both both as well, you know, and, and a lot of people did supposedly, but I mean just imagine the hell that that would have to be present, man, like I to you know to do that. I mean, it's holy crap, dude. I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to say about it, but like that's 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 the that's a high level of of evil right there. You know what I mean. It's chilling, like, is how, is how fucked up this is, is like, I didn't even know this sort of thing was possible before reading about this, you know, like, I would never, if somebody told me that you could actually do this to a person, I'd be like, well, you could torture somebody and you could, like, mess them up in the head, but I would never have guessed you could completely erase somebody's mind by just fucking with them so badly. It, uh, it's crazy, yeah. man. It's, yeah. it's like one of those things, I don't even like thinking about it. So let's move on to another topic. I think Agent Ether wants to talk about uh, Frank Olson. That's another. That, that's uh, not a happy topic either. Another uh, cheerful, uh, <laughs> cheerful event in Project MK Ultra. Hooray! Yay! Okay, so a little background. You have <laughs> Mr. Frank Olson. He's an expert in aerobiology who was assigned to the Special Operations Division of the U.S. Army Bio- Biology Center in Maryland, and he was well respected by his colleagues. And uh, he had Colonel Ruitt, who was his superior at his time of death, was almost in daily contact with him. And he said, you know, this guy Olson, he's professional. His abilities are outstanding. Prior to an experiment which was done on him, he said, I noticed nothing which would lead me to believe that he was of an unsound mind. So what was this experiment? On November 18, 1953, a group of 10 scientists from the CIA and Camp Detrick attended this semi-annual review and analysis conference at a cabin located up in Deep Creek Lake, Maryland. And three of the participants were from the CIA's technical services staff, and the Detrick representatives were all from the Special Operations Division, So they agreed that an unwitting experiment would be done on some of the people who were at this conference. So imagine you're a professional and you're just going to your semi-annual conference to meet with other professionals and exchange ideas and they perform, they perform an experiment on you. So what they did was they, they spiked his drink, you know, they put LSD in his drink According to Gottlieb, who we've mentioned before, it was a very small dose that was put into a bottle of Contro. That's how you say it, right? Contre, Contro. I think so. And it was served at dinner. And it was placed in the liquor by Robert Lashbrook. And all but two of the participants received the LSD because one didn't drink, I think, alcohol at all. And the other had a heart condition. So isn't that nice? They didn't dose the people who had a heart condition, 
and weren't drinkers. So about considerate. <laughs> so about 20 minutes after they finished the bottle, Gottlieb informed the participants they'd received LSD. And then, you know, apparently they oh, were he actually, boisterous. He actually told them. He did. And they were boisterous and laughing and they couldn't continue wait, wait, the meeting. What? Yeah, they're just... For, for they could, reals, though? They're just okay. tripping. You know, they have this... So they're just hanging out till about one in the morning and... Uh, Tripping, just totally tripping. And a lot of them had trouble sleeping and they had wakefulness, you know, some general symptoms. And then they all went to bed. And the next morning, Olson appeared kind of agitated, but nobody thought this was abnormal because, well, he'd just been experimented on. But unfortunately, he continued to exhibit some symptoms the following Monday. He was waiting for Ruit, who was his supervisor, when he came into work, but he had trouble working. Buddy, shut it. <laughs> Buddy's getting pissed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's getting heated, man. You know, he wants to go outside and bark. Buddy, stop it. So over the next couple of days, Olson's friends and family kept telling him to snap out of what appeared to be a very serious depression. So he goes to his boss, Ruit, and after a really long conversation, they decide that he should go ahead and seek medical assistance. So Ruit called Lashbrook, who's the one who dosed him, and let him know he was in trouble. And so the three of them left for New York to meet with Dr. Abramson. Now, this doctor... He wasn't a psychiatrist. He wasn't a psychologist. He was an allergist and immunologist. Hmm. He practiced so, medicine so like, in New like So he's like Dr. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> he was the Dr. Phil of the time. <laughs> so, you know, he, he, I don't know if he just talked to him. They didn't describe any kind of treatment. I mean, what kind of treatment are you going to get for the side effects of taking LSD? So it was the three of them. They're in New York for a couple days. They consult with this guy. Then they fly back to Washington so he can spend Thanksgiving to, uh, with his family. But on the way there, he, uh, Olson just said he couldn't face his family. He just couldn't do it. He was too agitated. He wasn't in a good state. And he just didn't want to be there with them, you know, uh, in that state. So they decided they would return to New York. So they returned the same night and they stayed in a Long Island hotel and they decided that he should be placed under regular psychiatric care at an institution close to his home. Now, unfortunately, they couldn't get any air transportation that same day back to his hometown. So they went ahead and stayed in the hotel. They watched television. They went to the bar. They hung out. And then they went to bed. At approximately 2.30 a.m. on Saturday, Lashbrook was awakened by a loud crash of glass. He stated Olson had crashed through the closed window blind and then the closed window and fallen to his death from the window on the 10th floor. And they called it, you know, they called it a suicide. Maybe it was. On finding that Olson had leapt to his death, Lashbrook telephoned Gottlieb in his home and informed him about the incident. And Lashbrook told the police he didn't know why Olson had committed suicide, but he did tell them that Olson suffered from ulcers. So 
you know, maybe that's why the ulcers. <laughs> they didn't mention the LSD experiment for some reason. So following the death, the CIA naturally made a substantial effort to ensure that his family did not find out about this. They gave him all the death benefits that he received for being a member of the organization he worked with, but they did not notify them of the circumstances surrounding his demise. And they supplied complete cover for Lashbrook so that his association with the CIA would remain a secret. So after the death of Olson, the CIA did conduct an internal investigation, but you know, nothing really came of it. The family did ask for a second autopsy and the coroner said that some of the injuries appeared to have happened before the fall. And eventually the family was awarded $750,000 and got an apology from then President Ford. But really, we'll never know what happened if his apparent suicide was a direct result of the LSD. He certainly wasn't someone who was depressed before or mentally unstable. And of course, well, and there's... It's, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, and of course, there are questions, there are conspiracies surrounding his death and whether or not it was a suicide or if he was, in fact, murdered. But I didn't find yeah. much information on that other than speculation. Well, it wasn't, um, it was his son that had his body exhumed after burial, right? And then they yeah. had a, an independent autopsy, autos, autopsy. <laughs> yeah, but again, but again, but again, <laughs> that's all, folks. Sorry. Anyways, uh, they had an independent autopsy done, which uh, supposedly found that um, there was blunt force trauma before right. the fall. Before the fall, yeah. And, and then, yeah, then they had a, um, a private uh, uh, settlement with, with the government or something, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, maybe he was friends with the Clintons. Hey, man, if, if he was, uh, he wouldn't still be around, I don't think. It's an interesting one because uh, LSD works on your serotonin receptors, and that can affect your mood. So if you're treated for depression, they'll give you medicine like Prozac that works on your serotonin system. And I, I'm not 100% sure on all of the chemistry and whatnot, but it is apparently possible, after coming down from LSD, it is possible to get symptoms of depression and whatnot, on the other hand, symptoms of depression don't usually cause physical damage in and of itself, you know, like the coroner found. So I'm wondering if he, this guy was, he was kind of freaking out somehow and he was threatening to tell people about it. Like maybe he just really needed help from a doctor even. And he said, I need to tell a doctor about this so I can get help. And of course, you know, the CIA being the CIA says not a chance, buddy. And they throw him out a window who, I mean, anything's possible, but I don't know. It's, it's a strange case for sure. Yeah. It's a easy solution, fast solution. Yeah, so. that's yeah, that's for damn sure. And I just want to say everything that I stated, that wasn't speculation. That came from the Senate hearings of 1977. And there's all mm -hmm. this documentation that supports these statements and the background and the experiment and the treatment and the subsequent consequences of what was done to Mr. Frank Olson. Yeah. And that, that, you know, that, that's, that is the crazy thing about this case. This case, it's not like we're, this is a case where like, uh, at the end, we're going to give our opinion, like, oh, do you think this actually happened or not? No, it, right. no, it definitely happened because there's a substantial amount of, you know, documentation and evidence to support, you know, that this, this actually happened, you know, 
It's just we don't know the extent of it, really. We're being pretty clear when we're speculating. And so when we're not saying we're speculating, that means that what we're saying, you know, we feel that there's evidence for. Yeah. So I'll read some stuff from documents just to prove that point. Right. Actual documents. Um, I don't, when, whenever we do these episodes, I don't always read from documents because it could be pretty dry. Usually I'll just read the source information and then form my opinions. And I might quote it here and there a little bit. But um, in this case, we have some pretty crazy shit from the documents. So I'll read some of those little excerpts. So here's from a CIA document from February 10th, 1954. Misredacted was then instructed, having expressed a fear of firearms, that she would use every method at her disposal to awaken Miss Redacted, now in a deep hypnotic sleep, and failing this, she would pick up a pistol and fire it at Miss Redacted. She was instructed that she would not hesitate to kill Miss Redacted, carried out these suggestions, including firing the unloaded gun at Redacted. After proper suggestions were made, both were awakened. Miss Redacted expressed absolute denial that the foregoing sequence had happened. So this is from a document describing an experiment where they got two hypnotized subjects. They got one of them to pick up a gun and shoot the other one in the head because they couldn't awaken them or something. And it says the gun was unloaded. But this is an example of one of the things that they tried to do was to get people to do stuff that they wouldn't normally do and to not remember it. So that's just one. I'll go through. I don't want to do them all in a row because we'll uh, we'll spread it out a little bit maybe so it doesn't get too dry. But that's just one of many, many interesting excerpts from documents that I found. Agent Ether, do you want to talk a little bit about these Senate hearings that you mentioned? Right. So as a result of these Senate hearings, I just want to mention that Ford issued an executive order that prohibited experimental drugs in humans without consent. So I think that kind of summarizes the extent to which these experiments affected politics at the time, you know, to where he had to issue this executive order. Now, during these Senate hearings in 1977, they were looking, I think, for clarity about what had actually happened. These documents had been found. There were thousands of pages. They'd been found accidentally through the Freedom of Information Act. Someone had hunted down seven boxes that were accidentally filed with the Retired Records Center in Washington. One of the major players, as far as testimony goes, is one Admiral Stansfield Turner, who was appointed by Carter to head the CIA in 1977. So he did tell Senator Kennedy that no experimental drugs were being used by the CIA currently. There were no current experiments. So this was in 1977. So he claimed that by then the project had, in fact, been terminated. And here's some interesting facts, and they're just based on the transcript that I read. It's available online through the Freedom of Information Act. Anyone can read it. It's a couple hundred pages long. But it has a lot of the documents that Agent Anderson mentioned at the end that are relevant to the hearing itself that people were questioned about. So they did admit that they played a part in the death of Frank Olson that was decided Um, They did talk about how the monitoring agents were not doctors or professionals. And also, they talked a bit about how 
in psychiatric institutions and uh, jails, they would use heroin as a reward for participation. So they would look for volunteers, drug addicts, to participate in their experiments. And if they did, they would reward them with heroin. I don't know if you guys read anything about that. Yeah, oh, yeah. And I also read that they would take drug addicts, like, let's say, um, or they would actually they would induce drug addiction using heroin or morphine or something. So they get people addicted to drugs and then they would force them to withdrawal as part of the experiments, you know, joy. Was if, if we do that, maybe we can get them to fess up or give us the information we want or something, you know, who knows what they were doing, but that was definitely part of the experiments. Yeah. And this Admiral, you know, he claimed that the white house had no involvement. He said there was no evidence of white house involvement. And I'm not sure whether I believe that or not. You know, it's hard to believe that all these experiments could take place and that it wouldn't be known by the higher branches of government, especially since that's where they get their money from. You know, it's not like this money comes from nowhere. And I read somewhere that they dedicated 6% of the CIA's total budget to Project MKUltra. Yeah, but on the other hand, they did use a lot of uh, operation fronts to launder, not really launder, but to hide where hide the, money the money was going. Yeah. Like one of them was a hospital. I think I think you were talking to me a little bit earlier about this, Ether. But they used a hospital to funnel money into these programs secretly so that it wouldn't really be on the books. And if you look through the documents, you'll see them quite often talking about organizing these front operations. Yeah, that's correct. There was a $375,000 amount that was funneled through the Geshiker Fund for Medical Research because this private donation triggered matching federal funds. So they made it look like it was coming from a private institution. And that actually, they created the medical institution. It came out later at Georgetown and it was investigated for defense against drug and chemical techniques used in interrogation and brainwashing. And during the hearing, Senator Schweiker says, you know, at two different points, there were indications that the CIA decision makers thought it would be a great benefit to keep whatever happened within this brick and mortar walls of the facility. So what's the second indication? The Atomic Energy Commission was supposed to pay and pick up part of that tab. And when that fell through, the CIA picked it up. So they were really interested in having this hospital wing And there isn't a lot of documentation about what they were using the wing for. And Admiral Turner refused to name, confirm, or deny any individuals or any institutions. And he cited the Privacy Act. And he talked about how he just didn't want the public to get involved. So it was all a PR thing where he did not want these institutions' names to come to light because he said they might have been unwilling participants. They might not even know who they were. And so he he really strongly suggested that these institutions not be named. And then I want to talk just a little bit about Subproject 54 that was funded by the CIA. But wait, before you do that, let me read another short snippet yes, from a document do. just to kind of mix it up a little bit. So this one is this juicy little tidbit is from document 140393. The instruction began with redacted relating to the student some of his sexual experiences. Redacted, 
stated that he had constantly used hypnotism as a means of inducing young girls to engage in sexual intercourse with him. A performer in Redacted Orchestra was forced to engage in sexual intercourse, while under the influence of hypnotism, Redacted stated that he first put her into a hypnotic trance and then suggested to her that he was her husband and that she desired sexual intercourse with him. All right, that's it. That's just a little... A lot of these documents are much, much longer than what you're hearing, but I'm just giving you just the juiciest little bits there. <laughs> so that's a fun I've one. Always, I've always been kind of skeptical when it comes to like hypnotism and stuff like that. Like, is it real? I don't see how it could possibly work. I don't know. I yeah, think I, there's I different people are have different levels of susceptibility, and I'm right along there with you. I'm also very skeptical, but... These documents, these are like reports of things that they did. These are like like yeah, mission yeah. reports. These are not like, you know, theoretical reports of what could or could not happen. These are people reporting what they did in their experiments. And it's possible that they made this all up, but it's also possible that they developed some very effective techniques of hypnosis. And they we talked about it earlier, I believe, but they didn't use just use hypnosis. They also combined it with other things like drugs and other types of techniques. And when they say hypnosis, like I don't think they mean like the hypnosis you see in the movies and on television. They probably mean a much more substantial kind of hypnosis. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they got the special sauce that nobody else got. Like the, yeah. Your, you know, your regular stage hypnotist is not doing the same thing that no, these guys were doing. That's exactly what I'm yeah. saying. And they, they, I don't think I talked about it anywhere yet, but they were also using, um, you know, various things like directed energy and, uh, you know, magnetic waves to fuck with people's heads. And they were able to use magnetic, uh, like magnetic waves or uh, magnetic fields to change people's perceptions and to even cause them to have amnesia and stuff. So it, this document didn't specifically say that they were using that, but they might have been using something along those lines with also like drugs and other things to, you know, induce this hypnosis. I was thinking drugs, yeah, like induced this, hypnosis through drugs. This was a very, very sophisticated program that went on for decades. So they, they, didn't, they didn't do this for over 20 years and not figure out anything. It wasn't all just bumping around in the dark. They figured out how to get some stuff done or they wouldn't have kept doing it, I'm guessing. Well, nor nor would the program um, have been funded for that long, just just 20 years alone. Right. If it wasn't producing any kind of positive results, then it wouldn't have been funded for two decades to begin with. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that, that would be far too long for, you know, for the amount of uh, money that had to have been spent in this program, you know? So, I mean, and also, supposedly, you know, there's evidence that the, the, the program was just renamed and uh, prolonged, you know, it was just continued, you know, so, and it might, it might still be going on to this, this very day. That's right. You know? Do any of us really believe just because they said that they aren't doing these things anymore, that that's actually what's going on? I mean, I feel just the opposite, that maybe it's become more sophisticated over yeah. time and more secretive. Sure. If, if there's a benefit, it, you know, if this was the stuff they were doing in the fifties, sixties and seventies, that's honestly terrifying. What have, because wh- yeah. they're not going to just keep doing the same thing. They're going to advance the research. They're going to get better at it and more sophisticated. So what, I mean, and there's certain cases that I think about when reading about this, like for example, the, um, the, the assassination of, uh, what was it? Robert Kennedy, where, um, like Sirhan Sirhan or whatever, like, it's, I don't know. 
that's a whole other thing. But there, there are certain cases where I think about what if this was one of those things? I don't know. But maybe not get into that right now because that'll take us way far afield. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <it's>, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, what, what were you going to lead into there, Agent Ether? I was talking about Subproject 54, which was funded by the CIA and operated through the Office of Naval Research. Now, you know, the interesting thing is we have Admiral Turner, who's testifying at the Senate hearings, and a lot of times he claims that experiments didn't happen, and then the committee would pull up documentation and point to it and say, but it says right here, this actually did happen. And it's really hard to argue when you have the documentation in front of you. So for subproject 54... You know what his defense was for that? His memory was a little fuzzy. No, he said, nuh-uh. <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> nice. Perfect. <laughs> Wait, there are Perfect only so defense. many cons- amendments to the Constitution. How does it go? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> So this was in 1955, and the whole point of the project was to cause concussions using sound waves. So Turner says the project never started, and then the Senate points out that there's evidence of the experiments. The documentations talk about a blast range, a 2,500-square-foot lab, creating amnesia and the perfect concussion in a series of three blasts using a blackjack device giving high-peak impact force. Yes, lovely. Little blackjack? I, you know, I tried to look up what that meant. I, I'm assuming it's just the device that produces the sound waves. All right, I'll get in. Are you, are you done with that blurb, Agent Ether? Okay, I'll get into another document here. This is a CIA document, a special research document about Project Bluebird. And even though it was for Project Bluebird, that was the predecessor to MKUltra, it's still basically the same thing that they were doing in MKUltra. They just changed the name for whatever reason. Uh, I, these are This is an excerpt. This is like an eight-page document, two of which the in, two entire pages are redacted, and there's lots of redactions throughout. But actually, a surprising amount of it is readable, too. So, A... Here they're talking about different goals of the. Um, I'm saying I'm going to say A, B, C, D. These are like different questions they're asking if you know if we can research this or if we can accomplish this or whatever. And they say, A, can accurate information be obtained from willing or unwilling individuals? B, can agency personnel or persons of interest to this agency be conditioned to prevent any outside power from obtaining information from them by any known means? C. Can we obtain control of the future activities, physical and mental, of any given individual, willing or unwilling, by application of SI and H techniques? So SI, in this case, stands for sleep induction. You'll see this throughout many, many documents. This is the most common thing you're going to see throughout these documents, is SI and H. SI is sleep induction, and H is hypnosis. So that's what they mean by willing or unwilling by application of SI and H techniques. D, can we prevent any outside power from gaining control of future activities, physical and mental, of agency personnel by any known means? Bluebird believes that A above can be answered in the affirmative using SI and H techniques. Bluebird is not fully satisfied with results to date, but believes with continued work and study, remarkable and profitable results can be obtained regularly. 
However, B, C, and D are as yet unanswerable, although Bluebird is of the opinion that there is a worthwhile chance that all three may at some future date be answered affirmatively. This opinion is supported by generally, generally by numerous individuals having knowledge of these techniques and by much literature and intelligence in this field, since any affirmative proof of B, C, A, and D would be of incredible value to this agency, Bluebird's general problem is to set up, conduct, and carry out research, practical, not theoretical, and on the document, not theoretical is underlined, in this direction. So just pay attention to what they're saying there. Since this stuff would be really good to do, they're going to conduct and carry out research, practical, not theoretical. In other words, They're not going to write papers. They're going to actually get out there and do it, which is what we've been talking about this whole time. But my point is, is this is a document that actually proves their intent in that direction. Bluebird specific problems. One, can we condition by post H suggestion agency employees or persons of interest to this agency to prevent them from giving information to any unauthorized source or for committing any act on behalf of a foreign or domestic enemy? Two, Can we, in a matter of an hour, two hours, one day, etc., induce an H condition in an unwilling subject to such an extent that he will perform an act for our benefit long-range? 3. Can we create, by post-H control, an action contrary to an individual's basic moral principles? 4. Could we seize a subject and, in the space of an hour or two by post-H control, have him crash an airplane— wreck a train, etc. Short, immediate activity. Now, I just want to read that one again in case it kind of went by too fast. Um, this This is what they were trying to do. Four, could we seize a subject and in the space of an hour or two by post age control, have him crash an airplane, wreck a train, etc. This stuff is bananas, people. So they want to take someone off the street, perform hypnosis, and then get them to be a terrorist. Essentially, yes. Yeah. Five. That's a that's a pretty damn short period of time, too. Like, the, right? That's crazy. That's crazy. That's that's <laughs> why that's why like I don't normally read the documents, but when you start combing through these documents, like like every document is like a mind boggle, and you can find thousands and thousands of pages online. It's just it's a lot of really insane stuff in here. But okay, so five. Can we by SI techniques? Force a subject, unwilling or otherwise, to travel long distances, commit specified acts, and return to us or bring documents or materials. Can a person acting under post-age control successfully travel long distances? 6. Can we use SI and H to combat fatigue, produce extreme mental effort? 7. Can we guarantee total amnesia under any and all conditions? 8. Can we alter a person's personality? How long will it hold? And then I skipped a couple here that I thought were redundant. 12. Can we devise a system for making unwilling subjects into willing agents and then transfer that control to untrained agency agents in the field by use of codes or identifying signs or credentials? Skipping 13. 14. What would be fastest way to induce SI and H conditions with drugs or without any mechanical aids with, with drugs or without any mechanical aids, which mechanical aids they don't say 
We don't know, but we know for a fact they were working on them, skipping 15, going to 16. 16, is it possible to find a gas that can be used to gain SI control from a gas pencil, odorless, colorless, one shot, etc.? Skipping 17, going on to 18. How can sodium A or P, uh, which I think is sodium pentothal or whatever, which is like the truth serum, or any other sleep-inducing agent be best concealed in a normal or commonplace item, such as candy, cigarettes, liquor, wines, coffee, tea, beer, gum, water, aspirin, tablets, common medicine, Coke, or toothpaste? 19. How effective can the uh, carotid artery technique be made? Can it be used while subject is unconscious? It is fa- is it faster than other techniques? Now, this document doesn't say what the carotid artery technique is, but in the context of this document, it has me very, very worried, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like all the uh, general items that the public has, such as gum and Coke and the last one you did. This whole thing is terrifying. <laughs> I'm, ju- I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> I don't like yeah. it. I don't like it one bit is all I'm saying. But so we'll, there's some more stuff here. Like, like I said, I don't normally read this stuff because it's very dry, but I think for this particular case, it, the, the most effective thing is just to read what we can get from the CIA documents themselves. These tell the story better than anything I could possibly say. So here is something from CIA document 190684. It's talking about two 19-year-old girls. These subjects have clearly demonstrated that they can pass from a fully awake state to a deep H-controlled state via the telephone, via some very subtle signal that cannot be detected by other persons in the room and without the other individuals being able to note the change. It has been clearly shown that individuals can be induced into H by telephone, by receiving written matter, or by using or by the use of code, signal, or words. Control of those hypnotized can be passed from one individual to another without great difficulty. It has also been shown by experimentation with these girls that they can act as unwilling couriers for information purposes. And that they can be conditioned, uh, and that they can be conditioned to a point where they believe a change in identity on their part, even on the polygraph. So that quote is so. The, remember the one I just read with all the points where they were asking, "Can we achieve these things?" This we think is saying we have. Yeah, we think it's possible, but we're not sure. We need to do further research. That was a document from Project uh, Bluebird from like 1950. Um, So this is a quote from a much longer document saying, yeah, we just totally were able to figure out how to do some of this stuff. Now, again, this is not something I'm making up. This is from an actual CIA document, people. This is alarming stuff, stuff that I find hard to believe even from a document. It's it's bananas. Here's another document about um, electric shock that was used to cause amnesia. Redacted is reported to be an authority on electric shock. He is a psychiatrist of considerable note. Redacted explained that electric shock might be of considerable interest to the artichoke type of work. He stated that the standard electric shock machine, writer, whatever that is, could be used. He stated that using this machine with convulsive treatment, he could guarantee amnesia for certain periods of time. And particularly, 
he could guarantee amnesia for any knowledge of use of the convulsive shock. He stated that the lower setting of the machine produced a different type of shock. When this lower current type of shock was applied without convulsion, it had the effect of making a man talk. He said that this type of shock produced in the individual excruciating pain. He stated that there would be no question that the individual would be quite willing to give information if threatened with the use of this machine. It was Redacted's opinion that an individual could gradually be reduced through the use of electroshock treatment to the vegetable level. And I'll give you guys, we don't know for sure, this is the name's Redacted, but if you had to guess who was talking about this stuff, I don't know. We, we talked about somebody earlier who probably knew a lot about this. So that's all the, I mean, there's, there's so many quotes from documents that you could find. And those are just my particular favorites, but um, those are all the, all the ones I had ready for this episode. Uh, Agent Ether, did you have any other topics? You know, here's the thing. I spent hours and hours researching this topic and at some point, I just had to stop because there's only so much time before we have to start uh, our episode. So that was all I had for now, but that doesn't mean there's that's all there is. Yeah, we've only just barely scratched the surface for this topic. I feel like we could do easily do 10 episodes easily on just MK Ultra, and then all of the stuff that it branches out and touches upon, you could do more like biological warfare and stuff like that. It's just there's a crazy amount of stuff going on. And like we said earlier, this stuff was highly compartmentalized and very, very secret. This stuff was given the highest level of secrecy. And personally, I believe there's a really good chance given how long it went on. It went on through different administrations. I think it's very possible, even plausible that it was not known about at the highest levels. Like the president did not know what was going on and probably was not briefed on any of this stuff. Um, to me, that seems like the most likely scenario because one president to the next is going to have a very different opinion on this sort of thing, but it didn't change what they were doing. They kept doing the same thing. Like the president didn't seem to have any input at all on this stuff. So I don't think he was ever briefed on any of this in my opinion, but also even though it was supposedly canceled in like 1973 or whatever, I don't think they would have ever stopped this stuff. They probably just moved it to a different, you know, designation and just kept trucking right along. You know, it just, it was just renamed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it might not even be part of the CIA anymore. Yeah. It might be its own branch of the secret branch of the government. And the, we're talking primarily about Project MKUltra, but there's a lot of other like branching projects like Project Chatter. That was the one I mentioned earlier that, that was from 1947 to 53. Project MK and Naomi, which was like biological weapons. That was in the 50s and 50s through the 70s. Project MK Delta, Delta MK Often, and, you know, a lot more. MK often, by the way, was supposedly delved into like the occult and like, you know, maybe summoning demons or that kind of stuff. But there's, there's not a whole lot of information on that one, unfortunately. Baph- Baphomet. Yeah. All right. Any, any final thoughts, uh, agents, uh, ether or ETA? Uh, I don't know, man. Like my, my final thought is there is some, some incredibly heinous stuff and, uh, incredibly unnecessary suffering that happened, um, in result of a, a lot of these experiments. And, yep. uh, this is, this is one of those cases, man. It's just so effed up, you know? I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, and it's, it's so big too. And like, like we had talked about before, like there's so many different things that, that correlate and, uh, are involved with this case. And, you know, like 
so many so many like, uh, things that um, in, are, were influenced by M- M- MK Ultra. You know, like uh, it's a bog, it's a boggle, man. It's a freaking yeah. boggle. You know, <laughs> the whole episode. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's so damn crazy, man. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know what, what, what to think about it besides like, you know, that, you know, it's just a, a, a crazy damn event and it's real, you know, it's verifiable, you know, it's yeah, a, the, the thing it really that did happen. It, this one just, it really actually kind of makes me angry. And when I read about this stuff, it's, I just think, man, this is not the America I want to live in. This is not my country. Yeah. This is not who we are, you know? Yeah. And yeah, most I people, I think that most people are very upset when they learn about this kind of stuff. And that's why they had those congressional hearings and stuff. You know, we don't, as, as a whole, I don't think that whether, whatever side left, right, center, I don't think you're going to find too many people who are going to get behind this kind of thing. I think this is one of the things we can all unite behind politically, right? We don't want this kind of stuff going on in our country. We don't want to pay for it with our taxes. We don't want to support it with our votes. We don't want a part of it at all. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. If like, say, say you're some like college dude or some, some, you know, young, dumb idiot that wants to experiment with some LSD or some shit. Yeah. I mean, I guess whatever, man, like go, go fry some brain cells if you want. It's not, I I don't think it's a good idea, (laughs) but, but, you know, but besides that, like to have this kind of stuff like forced on people like that, you know, that's one of like the, the things that keeps on like, you know, sticking with me, you know, it's, so much of this, uh, this suffering was just, just plain forced upon individuals that had no idea what the hell they were getting into, you know, nor, nor some of them didn't even have a choice really, you know, there's, because there's some, you know, there's some stuff I didn't really get into. Cause honestly, I just didn't want to, it's just too, just too gruesome, just too, too shitty. Yeah. But they, they tortured yeah. men, women, and children all around the globe. I'll just leave it at that, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and if, if anybody wants to look into some of these documents, I would say the best place hands down to go is you've heard me talk about it before on this show is, uh, the black vault, just Google the black vault CIA or the black vault MK ultra. And you'll have a repository of probably the best repository of MK ultra documents anywhere on the website. The, the index for the documents alone is 85 pages, just to give you an idea of how much is available there. Um, there's too much to even get, you're never going to get through all of it. It's just so much stuff. But if anybody wants to check out some of the stuff I'm talking about and verify for themselves or hell, just submit a FOIA request yourself just to see it. I mean, this stuff is real. It's, it's crazy and I don't like it and I'm going to have trouble sleeping tonight. Probably good luck. (laughs) Good luck, dear listener sleeping tonight yourself after listening to this. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I guess that's all we have for you this week. Thanks for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group slash page.